Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are uh, live streaming or whether you're live, I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. Always, always, always glad to be able to connect back with you as you connect with this church. We're in this series dealing with difficult people, and I know that doesn't apply to any of you. You're not the difficult people in someone else's life. You just have some in yours. Today's, we started out a couple of weeks ago, it was called Sincere Love. Last week, it was called Genuine Hate. And this week, it's called Give Peace a Chance. And like all of the messages in this series, this comes from the letter to the church in Rome, what's in your Bible as the book of Romans. So I want to invite you to locate Romans chapter 12 in your Bible. Maybe your Bible looks like mine. Maybe it's loaded on your phone. However you have it, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19. And if you didn't bring your Bible that looks like this and it's not on your phone, it's okay. The words will be up on the screen at just the right time, like they always are. And and a couple of things you may not know about the Bible or where this church stands with regard to the Bible. One of the things that we talk about a lot here is that although this looks like a book, the Bible is absolutely not a book. It's a library. And even Romans, it itself, it's not a a book of Romans. It is a letter to the church in Rome. People who received it were called the Romans. And so within the biblical library, there's a correspondent section, and we get to look in on a letter that was not written to us, but was preserved for us. And that's just something that a lot of people don't know. We remind ourselves about it. Then the other thing that we talk about scripture here at this church is a conviction that we have that in leadership, and you may not share that conviction, you may still be thinking about it, or you may love that we go public with it, but it's this. We actually believe that God breathed his life into the words of scripture. He put his truth onto its pages. We believe in leadership here. The Bible is inspired, eternal, and true. And you may not share that, and that's okay. You may love that. That's even better. But out of that conviction, we have a custom that when we talk about the Bible here, we lift it up. And if you haven't been here before and you're seeing phones and Bibles up in the air and you're like, well, that's unusual. And you know what we say in response? It is. We admit it. We know we're unusual. We've discovered, this is a church of oddballs. We have discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. That we're a collection of people who don't have life figured out, but we know who does. And because we know he does, we're glad to surrender to his authority. Amen? Amen. And so before I say anything else, let's pray. God, you're good. Your Holy Spirit is alive. And I ask in just this moment of absolute powerlessness before you, that you would prove yourself my constant helper. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and do the same for everyone who's within the sound of my voice. In your name we pray. Amen. So we have been talking about dealing with difficult people around here over the last couple of weeks, and, and y'all been really interested in it, and, and I, I have appreciated it, but we are fixing to take that interest level to a whole new place today, because today we're talking about giving peace a chance. In your relationships and in my relationships, we're going to give peace a chance today. And why am I so confident that by giving peace a chance, 
We're going to take your interest level to a whole higher place. And here's why. Because you want peace in your relationships, your relationships with your neighbors, your relationships with your friends, your relationships in church, with your family. You want peace, you get pain. And, and how do I know this? How, how do I know that so many of you who want peace in your relationships, you actually get pain? I know this because I know your HOA meetings. I'm on an HOA board. As if you couldn't be more impressed with me before. It's like my second full-time job is being on an HOA board. I mean, I know all the neighborhood grudges and struggles and strife. And I know that guy who lives next door to you, he's a pain. You're normal. He's the pain. He's got the loud car and the loud kids and the optional lawn maintenance. I, I know how it goes. I, I see, yeah, some of you, you know exactly what this is like or or I hear you talk about your siblings. The brother who had too much to drink at your wedding. The sister who was not there in mom's last days the way you were. The baby in the family who only reaches out when they need something from everyone else. Yeah, and then there's friendships in the church. You want peace, you get pain because there was that church friend who talked too much. And then there was that other church friend who didn't talk enough. And either way, whether they were over talkers or under talkers, when you needed support, all you got was isolation. And when you wanted peace in a relationship with someone in a body of people who celebrate the Prince of Peace, you wanted peace and all you got was pain. And don't even get me started, Good Shepherd, with what happens with you on social media with friends and with enemies and with frenemies. And everybody and all their opinions on politics. and Because what's the point of having an opinion if you can't express it on social media? And all their opinions on politics and on religion. And over the last three years, how everybody's all of a sudden an expert in medicine? Yeah, you count up your friends on Facebook. But I suspect that for a lot of us in this place, counting up the friends lost because of Facebook would be a pretty harrowing a matter indeed. We want peace. We get pain. And I guess so much of it goes down to the level of the, the husband who was in his living room and watching television and his wife comes up behind him and she bops him on the back of the head with a magazine. And he goes, oh, wh what's that for? And she says, I was putting your pants in the drawer and I found a small piece of paper. I don't know why I was going through the, the pocket, but I found a piece of paper in your pocket that said Laura Lou on it. And the husband says, oh, honey, it's nothing. You remember when I went to the racetrack a few weeks ago? Laura Lou is a horse that I bet on. And his, his wife says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I should have known it was something. And Three days later, she comes up behind him again and bops him with a skillet. <laughs> and when he wakes up, he says, well, what was that for? And, and his wife says, your horse called. <laughs> it's peace we want. It's pain we get. 
It's HOAs, it's brothers and sisters, it's friends in church, it's husbands and wives. And we have so much pain because we're dealing with so many difficult people. And sometimes we have the self-awareness to acknowledge that we are the difficult person in the relationship. And all of that brings us to Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, where Paul, pastor, missionary, author, writing to the church in the city of Rome about 30, 35 years after Jesus died and rose again. He says these words in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. He says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, spoiler alert, week four of this dealing with difficult people series is when it doesn't depend on you. But for today, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, Paul says. And, and if you're like me, you, you look at this command and you sort of shrug your shoulders and you're like, ah, do I need to put this one in that bucket? A biblical commands that seem to be almost impossible to obey. You know, the commands like turn the other cheek and love your enemies and, and do not lust. We go, ah, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I know what life is like. Is that, is that what we do? Or instead, do we get to do something that is a little bit more difficult, but much more rewarding? And we get to see the genius that is this command. And we get to see not only how, how genius the command is, but how you and I can live it out in our lives by doing one of my very favorite things in reading scripture of them all. And it's looking at this one verse in, in, wait for it. Yeah, you get context, context is everything in reading the scripture. And today, I mean, I love what we're gonna get to do today because we're gonna get to look at Romans 12, verse 18, not only in micro context, like where is it in the, in, in the little passage that it's in part of, part of, but even better, and here's a word I ain't never used with you all before, we're gonna look at it in macro context. Where does this verse fall in the whole flow of what Paul says in this letter to the, to the Roman church? Because Romans chapter 12, verse 18, y'all ready for a math lesson? Romans chapter 12 comes after and not before Romans chapters 1 through 11. Tell me that wasn't worth coming to church for today. Chapters 1 through 11, and you're like, well, why does that matter? Well, here's what you need to know. Romans chapter 1 through 11 is a whole collection of material, 11 chapters at the end of which that Paul is rendered speechless. Isn't that awesome? 7,400 words. That's how many words there are in Romans chapter 1 through 11. And at the end of it all, Paul is rendered speechless. He runs out of words at the end of those 11 chapters. And what is it that makes him run out of words? The goodness of God. The grace of God, that for 11 chapters, 7,000 words, and then he turns the corner at, at Romans chapter 12 and says, now here's how you all got to get along. But chapter 1 through chapter 11 is the grace of God, the grace of God, the goodness of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, pile on after pile on after pile on. And at the end of it, Paul is like, I got nothing left. 
Jesus is so good, I, I have run out of words. That's how good his grace is. You sin and Jesus saves. And, and you rebel and Jesus retrieves. You, you stink at what you do. And Jesus rescues you anyway, over and over and over. Paul says, man, the whole point of the gospel, the good news about Jesus is that you have, that Jesus does not give you what you deserve. Thank God. That God is not fair. Thank God. But the goodness of God and the greatness of grace is that Jesus gives you not what you deserve better than you deserve. That your level of obedience is here, your level of blessing is here, and the only way to explain, explain that gap is the grace of God. That's the macro context. And that, that, that reality where, where Paul is, whew, it takes my breath away how good Jesus is. That's always at the forefront of Paul's mind when he turns and tells the Roman church how they need to relate to one another. And then the micro context, what, what, is, what is right around Romans chapter 12, verse 18? Well, again, another math lesson. Just before it is verse 17, and just after it is verse 19. Let's see what happens there. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 17, where he says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. So there is this revenge sandwich or a, or a no revenge sandwich, I guess. Don't take revenge as far as it's possible. Live at peace with everyone. Oh, by the way, don't take revenge. And, and why does Paul find it necessary to tell these Christians living in Rome not to take revenge? A couple of reasons. One reason is that the church in Rome, like all the churches in that era, was being persecuted by the religious authorities and, and by the civil leaders. Like you might have heard about Christians being fed to the lions in Rome. That was a real thing. And, and so Paul is like, when, when the authorities persecute you, do not get, of course, if you're fed the lion, it's too late to get revenge, but do not get revenge. And then within the Roman church, Paul knew that the Christians at the church in Rome had this unique ability to harass and annoy one another. And so he says, when you're dealing with each other, and that person in your life group or the person who took your parking place at church or the person sitting in your seat at church, when, when they annoy you, do not take revenge. And really what, what Paul is saying to the Roman church, y'all got pain in your relationship. You, you got pain from the Romans. You got pain from the synagogue. You got pain within the church. And I know it's very tempting Romans for you to sort of nurse your pain to take a weird delight in your pain? That to count up all the people who've done you wrong, Roman church, and to sort of derive your identity from that? Am I speaking to anyone? Anyone here at all really, really good at counting up all those people you're not speaking to anymore? Anybody here have a long list of people who have done you wrong 
and you realize now you take a weird sort of delight in that? You kind of derive your identity from all the ways you have been on the receiving end of what is wrong? And Paul is like, as he, as he talks to the Roman church about the way they nurse their grudges, the, the way they delight in their pain, by putting it not only in the micro context, don't take revenge, don't take revenge, but the macro context, man, Jesus is so good. Paul is letting them know that the only way to deal with the pain that they've had in their relationships is to stop dealing, dwelling on the badness of man and start savoring the goodness of God. Because here's, here's where, 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 where we land. When, when you've been overcome by your pain, when, when it's your HOA that annoys you, it's your siblings who've disappointed you. It's your mate who's betrayed you. Paul wants us to remember over and over and over again that the only way to deal with our pain is to compare it with what Jesus has done for us and through us and in us. And here's what it is. You won't be overcome by your pain when you are overwhelmed with his grace. You won't be able to deal with all the people who have done you wrong in life until you step back from the situation and count up all the ways that you have done more wrong to Jesus than any, any enemy has ever done to you and you get grace in return. You get the reality that Jesus doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you better than you deserve. And only when you think about that, only when you shift your attitude and your outlook about that, only when you recognize, man, I'm going to stop dwelling on the badness of man and I'm going to start thinking about the goodness of God. That's the only way to deal with all these difficult people in my life, that you won't be overcome by your pain when you step back and you're overwhelmed by his grace. See, it's so much like a, a mirror I don't know if you thought about it this way, but mirrors, I mean, mirrors are helpful, obviously. You want to make sure you don't have broccoli in your teeth or mustard on your face. And mirrors are very helpful, but mirrors are also help us be incredibly self-absorbed. And so many of us, when we look in the mirror, that is that time really to kind of ponder all the ways, all the people at whom we're bitter, all the relationships that have been broken, strangely, oddly, this happens to me when I'm shaving and I don't know why it is and maybe because I shave like 10 times a day, but when I'm shaving and these relationships that are broken and things that I'm bitter about, they just, it just comes to my mind. And, and, and I realize I, I want people, instead of dwelling in that mirror so much, allow that mirror to turn into a window, a window through which you can see Jesus. A window in which you can see the Jesus who is so much better to you than you are to him. A window into Jesus in which you see that the debt that he has forgiven you is so immense compared to that which he asks you to forgive others. And when you are overwhelmed by that, when you put them in comparison... Whew. your pain 
will lose so much of its power. You won't nurse yourself on your pain. You won't take that delight that you have in being wrong because your real source of delight will be in how good Jesus is. You see, the real key for you and for me to stop being such bitter people and to stop thinking so much about the people who have wronged us is to start thinking more about Jesus. It's not more techniques. It's not more self-help. It's not even more self-reflection. It's always more Jesus. What a win that would be for this church is if at the end of this experience, the people who are then of the sound of my voice, they have taught themselves and learned how I am going to think more about Jesus than I think about me. That my self-reflection turns into Christ adoration this is not a cliche. I'm not telling you to talk, think more about Jesus just because it's what you do when you're in church. I'm telling you to think more about Jesus. I'm inviting you into that adventure where your greatest delight is the fact that you are able to admit you are so messed up you need a savior and so loved that a savior is exactly what you got. And when that becomes your greatest delight, when you savor that and think about it and ponder all the ways your level of blessing surpasses your level of obedience, how can all the hurts that you're nursing do anything but vanish away? See, one of the things that's true about the, the anger that we that we have towards, the bitterness that we have towards other people is that by and large... It's really just projected anger that we actually feel towards ourselves. You know how I know, how I know this? That the, the most vicious anger we project towards others is really just self-loathing in disguise? Because I've done it. My most epic meltdown with my kids ever, they were 15 and, and 12, happened in my car. It's just epic you know, put the car in park and you are going to get a piece of my mind and they got a piece of my mind. We were not giving peace a chance in my car that day. <laughs> and at the time, I was convinced they deserved it. They, they needed someone to set them straight and it might as well be me because I was their dad. And, and upon reflection, I realized something else entirely was going on. That, that This is 18 years ago or so and I'd made a really dumb leadership decision and it was poorly timed, and it was poorly implemented, and it was poorly motivated. Other than that, it was a great move, I guess. And, and things just were not going well. And I realized that the person I was mad at in the car that day was me. And the people who paid the price were my kids, because they were there, and they were defenseless and vulnerable. And I just want to invite you to consider all the ways that the anger you project is really just self-loathing in disguise. Because for some of you, some of you, that reality, that, that thing that happened in my car that one time 18 years ago was the daily reality of your life. You were on the receiving end of it as a kid. Now you're on the giving end of it as a parent. And you really haven't had the tools and you really haven't done the work to work through all those memories and all the, the, the wounds that you ignore have become the trauma that you inflict. And you know what happens is that you think about yourself too much. You don't think too much of yourself. You think of yourself too much. 
And I'm inviting you to have the self-awareness and the realization that when you are focusing on you and when you are dwelling on your bitterness, what a marvelous opportunity to turn those thoughts around and to begin focusing on Jesus, to allow yourself to be overwhelmed and overpowered by his grace and all the ways he doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you better. I'm so glad that we have a tool here at this church that's, that's helped a lot of people by first thing in the day, turning their thoughts to Jesus. And, and, and when you begin your day thinking about Jesus, it's uncanny how much he, you think about him during the day. And it, it's called Come Alive Daily. And uh, start out with 14 people. And now it has 1,870 people on the, on the email list who every morning at four o'clock in the morning, because I got tired of saying, just read the Bible, will you? That's bad pastoring. And instead of taking people by the shoulders and say, read the Bible, we instead come alongside you and say, hey, here's a guide. Here's how you, we can read the Bible together. We are in the book of First Peter. And if you sign up in just a minute, I'm going to give you a way to sign up. And if you sign up, I promise you, there will be a reading prompt, a come alive daily for you in your email inbox at four o'clock tomorrow morning. And if you're like, well, I'm not going to get up at four, it'll still be there when you get up at, it, it'll still be there. And, and I want you to hear, here, here's a, a word I got from a woman who doesn't even go to this church but gets to come alive daily. Here's what she had to say. I'm so thankful for this habit of reading the word. When I first started, I treated it almost as a chore I needed to do in order to become more obedient to God's word. But now it is a joy that I look forward to, a daily gift to myself that is giving me a stronger living relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. From chore to joy, and you can sign up. We have the, yeah, gscharlotte.org slash email. And you just scroll down to where it says uh, come alive daily. And there's a very simple way for you to sign up. And you can even invite your friends to sign up. And you, what I've discovered is since we began doing this come alive daily, I, your preacher, I think about Jesus a lot more during the day than I used to. Because the first thing I'm doing every morning is thinking about Jesus to put these come alive dailies together for all of you. And that's never not a good thing. You won't be overcome by your pain when you're overwhelmed with his grace. And you may think it interesting, perplexing, that a message that has been supposedly about relationships and bitterness and even forgiveness turns out to be about Jesus? That, that the real key to having peace in your relationships is to having Jesus saturate, dominate your mind? And you may think it's unusual, but it's not because we're not a motivational seminar. This is a church and who is the prince of peace? It's not you. And who bled out so you can fall in? It's not you. Who gave his all so you could reside with him for all of eternity? It's not you. Who tells his followers 
My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's not you. It's Jesus. Always, only Jesus. Take your delight in him. Receive your peace from him. And then you'll be a little less difficult and you'll be better able to deal with the difficulties around you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are every bit as good as we've been talking about. Thank you that you're not fair. Thank you that you don't give us what we deserve. Thank you for grace that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen.